Sci-Fi Supplemental. I was so excited to get an email today from Kevin Hope, who you may remember from Sci-Fi number 48. It's a boldly gay. We talked about LGBT representation in Star Trek. He just emailed me his thoughts on Babylon 5, and I'm very excited to share it with you. Uh, I've had a lot of really great reaction from this new segment so far. And if you want to participate, the next thing I'll be looking for is stories about the first time you saw Star Wars, the first Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope. So if you have a good story about viewing that for the first time, please email it to me at sci-fi supplemental at gmail.com. Okay, here's Kevin Hope. Hi, Jesse Mercury. This is Kevin. I had the pleasure of speaking with you about uh, LGBT uh, issues in Star Trek. Uh, And I heard this sci-fi supplemental, and I listened to your podcast about Babylon 5, one of my all-time favorite sci-fi shows. So I had to jump in and uh, take advantage of the offer you made. Uh, so, as Kosh would say, and so it begins in Gilzha Valen. I wanted to explain that f- I, as I talked about on my last appearance, uh, my father and I bonded over sci-fi, and since we did not end up having a very positive relationship, it's one of the few happy moments with us. Uh, Babylon 5 was the TV show in my middle school and high school years that Dad and I made time to sit and watch. Uh, I remember I would get out of school at 4.03, and I would drive home to make the 5 o'clock showing on TNT with my dad, and then I would go do my three, two to three hours of homework, depending on how bad it was that day. Um, one of the things that I really loved about it was that when Star Trek, especially Deep Space Nine, started me on the path to multiculturalism, to understanding um, how to function in a world when you are one, a member of one race or one species or one society, when there are multiple societies. And what I liked about this was the show glorified and talked about the hard process of negotiation. We got to see these people have those messy conversations. We got to see these species working back and forth together um, to create peace at where there was conflict and deal with conflict when it shows up. And I think those are examples of positives of how society can work that I'm glad to see there. Of course, there's still space battles and stuff like that. Uh, but I am. I was glad to see the focus be on diplomacy and glorifying diplomacy. Um, it's uh, a season one, as y'all said on the show, is definitely the worst season. Uh, it spends way too much time trying to uh, set pieces onto the board, as it were, such that those pieces can be moved to create something spectacular in seasons two through four. Uh, If anybody is on the fence and they're watching the first season going, oh, I can't handle it. I'm just, please keep through it. Please keep going through it. There is such beauty and wonder here. Uh, I thought I would give a couple of things that I would uh, suggest to keep an eye out for as you continue to watch the show. Uh, One, more so than Deep Space Nine, this has a very explicit LGBT relationship between a few of the characters. And I hope that you will keep an eye out for it. And I'd love to discuss that once that secret has been revealed. 
I would say that this show claims that it is a show about a space station, and I would say that this show is really about the relationship between London Malari and Jakar. Those two people go through an amazing cauldron and come out on the other side in ways we would not expect. I, I really would encourage you to keep your eyes on those two. Both of them have such amazing character arcs, and I think Jakar's humanity and Jakar's, or Narnanity, I guess, uh, but also Jakar's philosophy and the way that he approaches things were the seeds of my own spiritual atheism. Uh, and as you will find out, faith manages. Uh, I loved the design of the Star Furies. Uh, it was well known that JMS was talking with NASA to get an idea on how things would move in a three-dimensional space in zero with zero gravity and little resistance. And I think that's why you, they make a big deal about seeing the Star Furies have those thrusters go off when they try to turn around or when they try to stop. I thought it was very uh, ingenious and more realistic than any of the vehicles in Star Trek. Uh, I loved that it was using early CGI uh, instead of models. Yes, sometimes that makes it a little bit cheesy, but it's the kind of bad sci-fi cheese that I love. And also, like, understanding where we were at that time. I mean, this was nine, you know, mid-90s, so there was not the level and breadth and depth of uh, technology at the time to help help this create, to be created. And I was really glad to see that we got this story. And we got this story being told this way on, you know, cable TV, which did not have the budgets that we are seeing now. Walter Koning pops on as Bester, and I was sorry that you guys didn't talk about it, because I loved seeing Walter Koning as Bester, uh, especially his nascent... Uh, I guess you could call it a relationship. I, his nascent uh, nemesis in Mr. Garibaldi. And when he does the salute around the uh, forehead instead of around the eye from the prisoner, be seeing you, Mr. Garibaldi. I wanted to quickly go through a few other pieces of the show. Uh, I think the Mimbari were my favorite species because when I watched the show originally, I wanted to believe that you could have a warrior, a spirit, a warrior side, a religious side, and a working side all together as one person. And I thought it was unique to see that represented in the culture that way. Uh, as I have aged and I have experienced uh, more of the world, I, I, I tend to not like them because they seem to be too rigid and too sudden to focus. The Centauri really remind me of the United States currently. Uh, it definitely feels that we are living in a republic. And the way the political court intrigue games are shown in the show feels a lot like what we are currently experiencing uh, anytime you read the news. Uh, the Narn are great. They have the closest parallel to the Bajorans, though... Uh, while the Bajorans went under horrible atrocities, they never had mass drivers launched at their world. It's, uh, it, 
they were such a broken species and then to see what they chose to do in their brokenness is humbling and i'm glad i got to see it i loved uh the league of non-aligned worlds as well so you had all these minor races that had at least one voice on the council uh i, I thought it was in a good way to give representation to a bunch of other different species but also just have one character to represent that whole thing so there's much less of a production value involved in there um with humanity the big struggle i had with the show was psychor and just how which felt very realistic but it was very frustrating to me that you would say okay these humans that have the ability to read people's mind they get a choice they either go join this paramilitary organization that is going to rule your life, decide who you get to fuck, decide who you get to marry, decide who you get to hang out with, or you get to join uh, a prison colony where you can live with other telepaths without affecting normals, but you can never leave, or three, you can take drugs that will destroy you from the inside. Um... In the episode when we were seeing uh, Talia try to negotiate against Ivanova to have the kid go to Psychor, and Ivanova being like, no, the Psychor is going to destroy this kid's potential. Uh, I, I loved that. I loved that conflict. I love how it played out. Uh, I think that is more real, and I think that brought a lot of love and understanding in reality to these characters uh, I heard you say on your podcast that you didn't understand how all these species have telepathy and I would encourage you to keep watching because I do believe that will be explained thank you very much for listening to me and I hope that you keep watching Babylon 5 and I get to hear more great podcasts take care